Hi there, and welcome to the All About Everest podcast, episode five, The Life of George Mallory. And I am your host, Pauline Reynolds-Nuttle. So if you know anything about Mount Everest, you have heard about George Mallory. He was the first man to set foot on Everest. He was the first person to attempt to reach the summit. And his entire life was pretty fascinating. One of the biggest mysteries on Mount Everest, if not the biggest, is did George Mallory actually reach the summit? So in this episode, we're going to talk about his life history and then we're going to talk about some of the clues leading to if he did or if he didn't actually reach the summit. I am so excited about this podcast episode. Even before I started back the beginning of January, I knew that I wanted to talk about George Mallory. I think this guy was absolutely intriguing and fascinating, and I've always been curious about him. I think he's the 1920s version of the warrior poet. If you've ever read any of his letters or journals, they're so beautifully written. This man was fearless and courageous. He loved his family. And I just am so, 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 so excited about this episode. But before we dive in, I just wanted to give you two really quick updates. So the first update is that Joost Kobisch, the German mountaineer, is still on Mount Everest. He is attempting to climb the West Ridge in wintertime without oxygen. And this route hasn't been attempted very much. This is his second attempt. And his goal isn't even to reach the summit. It's to reach 8,000 meters. So looking at his Facebook, it's been really windy. In fact, it was so bad that it tore his tent apart. So he had to come down, but it looks like he's gone back up and he's reached camp one, if not higher up. I need to check again today. The other update is that it looks like the Tibetan side is going to be closed for this spring season. China hasn't made an official announcement yet, but everybody thinks that it's coming. I think they're really concerned about what will happen if they open their side of the mountain because of COVID and everything that happened last year in Nepal. All of the cover-ups and hiding, not really hiding, but not really being open about how bad COVID was at base camp. So those are my two updates. And now we're ready to talk about George Mallory. This was just going to be one full episode, but after recording it, I realized that it's so long that it really needed to be split into two parts. So today is part one, and it will be about George Mallory's life history, 
leading all the way up to his final expedition. And then part two, which I will share with you next week, will be about the final expedition, finding George Mallory, and then all of the evidence that he may or may not have reached the summit. So here's part one and enjoy. Every life history has a few boring parts, but I think it's really important for us to know where people come from. And so those boring tidbits like dates and places and names are relevant because, you know, they're those little pieces of the puzzle. And how can you understand why a person is the way they are if you don't have the whole picture. George Mallory was born on June 18, 1886 to Herbert Lee Mallory and Annie Barrage. His father, Herbert, was a clergyman and his mother was the daughter of a clergyman. So religion was important in their home growing up. He had two sisters and a brother and his brother Trafford um, was the Royal Air Force commander in World War II. There's not a lot of information about his childhood. Uh, it's mainly about his teen years and as an adult. But one of the stories that I found was that when he was seven years old, he climbed to the very top of his father's church. And it was kind of high. It was made of stone. And I can only imagine how hard it was to climb to the top. But he was absolutely fearless. And many people say that that's where he got the climbing bug. In 1896, when he was 10 years old, he went to boarding school. And then another prep school. At the age of 13, he won a maths scholarship to Winchester College. And while he was there, he met R.L.G. Irving, who was a pretty good mountaineer. And Irving would take students every year up to the Alps. So one year, he took Mallory. Well, Mallory didn't get very high because he got altitude sickness. I think he was under 4,000 feet which it's funny because I don't think people understand how common it is to get altitude sickness and how you can get it at a pretty low elevation. Like if you were raised and grew up and lived in an area that was at sea level or just above it, then anytime you'd go higher, have a great altitude change, then you are probably even likely to get altitude sickness. I know that for me, anything over 8,000 feet, I start to get headaches and um, nauseous. And the last time I was at 10,000 feet, um, I felt lightheaded most of the time that we were up there. And so the only thing that really helped was drinking a lot of water and then coming down. Because of his altitude sickness, he had to abandon his mountaineering expedition. However, the following year, he was able to go again and he was 
successful in summiting several mountains, including Mont Blanc. He graduated from Cambridge and became a teacher at Charterhouse. He met his wife, Ruth, in 1913, and they got engaged the following year. He and Ruth had such a beautiful love story. If you read his letters that he wrote to her, starting from when he was in the military and all the way until his very last ones that were found with his body on Mount Everest in 1999, there's just this inspiring love that they had for one another. You can definitely tell how much he loved his wife from his writings. George and Ruth got married just a couple of days before World War I broke out. Um, initially, Mallory was against the war and he had no intentions of joining. But after seeing so many of his friends and students and classmates go, he decided that he needed to go too. So he fought on the Western Front and he experienced some horrible and tragic things. Like he was in the middle of battle all of the time and he was so concerned for those around him and he wrote back to his wife, you know, some of the most heartbreaking things of how gut-wrenching it was for him to see all of these people die. One of the things that he wrote was that he was so mixed up, you know, wanting himself to be safe, but worrying about everybody else's safety instead. And, you know, back in, you know, during World War One and World War Two, no one really thought about PTSD and what it was. They referred to it as being shell-shocked, but really it's, you know, a mental illness. And I can only imagine how these horrible things that he saw affected him. And I almost wonder if climbing mountains was some sort of therapy for him that maybe on Mount Everest he was able to forget all of the dark and bloody battles and very tragic things that he saw during World War I. So he got injured. Um, he was about two years in, so sometime in 1917, and he hurt his ankle pretty badly to the point where he had to go back to England for surgery. They were never really able to repair it properly, and so it always gave him pain and discomfort, and that may have been one of the contributing factors to his death, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. After his surgery, George Mallory returned to the Western Front in September of 1918. He was with the company when Armistice was declared on November 11th, 1918. He then served in France until January of 1919, and then he went back to England and went back to teaching history at Charterhouse. While he was there, he revived the college mountaineering group, 
um, that he'd been a part of before he'd gone off to war. And of the original 60 members, 23 had been killed and 11 had been wounded. He mentioned several times survivor's guilt. He didn't call it that, but he felt bad about still being alive and how he hadn't been able to keep everybody safe. But you can't do that in wartime. I mean, they were scattered in all these different units and it's not like he could be there with them all of the time. That's so impractical. But it shows how loyal he was and how caring for him to, you know, think about everyone's safety before his own, even though he had no control over it. And, you know, that survivor's guilt that he had after the fact. He seemed to have really struggled and he reconnected with a bunch of old friends, which may have seemed to help things a little bit. He and Ruth had three children total. They had Francis Clare, who went by Claire, Barrage Ruth, known as Barry, and John. His children have very fond memories of him, and they always seem to be an important part of his life, including when he was gallivanting off exploring. There's a letter that he wrote his daughter, Claire, and he talked about having a picnic with her with cake for her birthday. To go out of your way to write a little note to your daughter to let her know that you're missing her and that you love her, that shows so much about a person and it shows how open he was in loving his kids. His children always spoke very fondly of him and you can tell from how they talked about him and how others talked about him that he really loved his children. One of the best examples is that when he was on Mount Everest, he wrote a letter to his daughter, Claire, talking about, you know, having a little party and cake and how much he missed and loved her. It takes a special person to take the time to, you know, sit down and write a letter, especially to your children, but it really shows how they were always in his thoughts and he was very open about how much he loved his children. It wasn't something that was secretive, like everybody knew that he loved his children. So after the war, George Mallory was really struggling and he was reconsidering teaching when he was invited to join the 1921 Mount Everest expedition. And so he went. Um, he was the first person to step foot on Mount Everest and the first person to attempt to climb it. They were not successful. So they went back in 1922. The 1922 expedition was not successful either. 
However, they were able to learn a lot about the first two expeditions before planning the third one. One of the things that they learned was that bottled oxygen could be a game changer, not only when climbing, but also for sleeping. They realized that if you used it when you slept, you would climb better the next day. So it wasn't just about using it while you were climbing. It was using it all of the time. And that makes complete sense because if the air's thin, then you want to have as much oxygen as possible. And what good does it do you if you're only using it part of the time? The other thing that they realized was that weather was really important because of where Everest is at and because of the monsoons in the area, they realized they would have to pick a good weather window. George Mallory initially did not want to go on the third expedition up Everest and neither did his wife. Ruth was pretty adamant that she didn't want him to go but in the end um, he went anyway and even though she was supportive she was pretty vocal about how she disagreed with it and maybe she had some type of intuition maybe she knew that he wasn't going to come back they were so close and I think that when you're close to someone a lot of the times you can not necessarily predict but you can get those feelings of something going wrong. So in 1923, just before his final expedition in 1924, George Mallory met with a reporter from the New York Times. He was asked, why do you keep climbing Mount Everest? Why do you want to climb it? And his reply was three simple words because it's there. And I think about this a lot, like maybe it was meant to be just like a flippant remark, you know, that he didn't really put any thought into it or he thought it was funny what he said, but I get it. You know, George Mallory was courageous and fearless and he just went out there and he just did it. And I think that it really reflects on who he was as a person because it was short, sweet, and to the point. Because they realized how important oxygen could be on their next expedition to reach the top of Mount Everest, they brought on Sandy Irvine and basically what it was is that uh, someone knew Sandy and knew that he liked to experiment and tinker with gadgets and things. So they asked him if he could try to make the oxygen apparatus lighter and better, which he did. And because of that, they invited him on the 1924 Everest expedition. When it comes to the 1924 Everest summit attempt, Sandy Irvine is just as important as George Mallory 
and there will be a future podcast episode about him. So this concludes this week's podcast episode. Next week, I'll go into a very detailed breakdown of the final Everest attempt by Mallory and Irvine. I'll also talk about how George Mallory's body was discovered, what's been attempted in order to find Sandy Irvine's body, what they found, and what clues there are to if they did or did not reach the summit. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and save this podcast and rate it as well. It helps me so that I can continue to provide great content. Follow us on all of our social media outlets, All About Everest Podcast. And please send us questions or corrections or anything like that so we can make things better. Or if you have any ideas about future episodes, I'd love to hear those as well. I'll see you next week for part two.